Hey guys, welcome to our Grace Church Ellet online services. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Wanted to welcome you this morning and also let you know about a couple of things that are going on. First of all, if you guys have joined us recently over the last season, um, right before this season, or even if this is your first week here today, um, we actually have an opportunity coming up called Discovery Group, which is the best way to get connected to our campus. So we're going to do that online so you'll be able to get connected to what we're doing, learn a little bit more about Grace, and even see some people's faces, which is really exciting these days. So we'd love to have you do that. That's starting in June. You'll see some more details about that coming out here soon. Uh, we would love to have you guys jump on and join us with that. So please let us know if we can help you do that, and uh, we, would, we would get you connected that way. Uh, guys, also, we have a lot of other things going on. One of those things is graduations have been happening. So, guys, if you are a senior in high school and you graduated, I want to make sure that we said congratulations to you. Um, I know this has been an interesting senior year, um, and so we wanted to say congratulations on that. We are proud of you. Great job. We had a, a lot of seniors uh, that we were able to take care packages to. It was a lot of fun. Uh, so if you know a senior, make sure to say congratulations to them and ask them what they're doing in the fall. But we hope you guys um, had a great time uh, celebrating that with your family uh, and would love to congratulate you as well. Uh, guys, also, if you've been giving during the season, we want to thank you for that. If you've been interested in giving, there's a couple ways you can do that. You can go to our website and find out about it, and you can actually go onto our app as well. If you go uh, to Grace Church Ohio in the App Store, you can find that and download it on your device and that's one of the ways you can get connected. If you have any trouble with that, please let us know. And guys, if there's anything else that you need, um, if you need help getting connected in any way or you need any information, please, please just reach out to us and let us know. And we would love to do that for you. You guys are so excited that you're here with us again this weekend. Uh, we're going to kick things off with a song. Well, hey, good morning, Grace Church. Thanks for joining us wherever you are tuning into this weekend service from. We are, we're just so glad that you're here with us and that we get to spend this time together, even though um, we can't actually physically be together yet. Um, we're going to start this morning off with, with a new song that we learned last week. It's called King of Glory, and it's, it's a lot of fun to, to play and to sing together. Um, so while we play and you listen and pray along, um, focus on these words, focus on the truth that it reminds us about God, and, and let's have a great morning together. Ready? One, two, one.
Thanks so much for tuning in today. My name is Ryan. I'm the campus pastor here at our Ellet campus, and I'm just so glad that you're here for our next conversation. Uh, we've been in a series now for a little while, all through the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we're exploring that quite a bit. And uh, we're going to dive into another conversation about that today. Before we do, though, I want to make sure that you know, uh, parents especially, this is going to have a PG to a PG-13 rating today. So if you got little ones with you and uh, you don't maybe want to answer some questions that may come up during the course of this message, uh, make sure to find a place for them to play or uh, find something to do. And uh, it, that probably will be a good idea for you. Uh, if you're a student, make sure to tune in. And uh, we're going to be having a conversation around sexuality today. I think it's extremely important and relevant for us in our culture and um, Part of what we see as we begin to unpack kind of this next passage of Scripture they're going to look at is the people 2,000 years ago uh, that said yes to Jesus in this church in Thessalonica. That's right, what we've been studying. The Apostle Paul, leader in the early church, writing a letter uh, to the Thessalonians as after they kind of began as a church here in the first century, what they came out of was kind of a sexual norm that was very, very different than what would be expected of them as followers of Jesus. And so coming out of, they were, a lot of those guys would be Greeks, right, living in the Roman Empire. And so there would be some norms of their day that would be very, very different. Let me give you some examples, right? So the people who said yes to Jesus would be used to things like this. Uh, things like prostitution would be fairly normal. Uh, it was kind of an industry and trade that would have been common during that day. It'd be common for people to have mistresses uh, outside of their spouse. They might have sex with other people kind of connected to their lives. Uh, in this day and time, there would have been slaves that were part of households, and it was common for people to interact with slaves to gratify sexual desires. And so, man, completely different situation for them than for people who would have been followers of Jesus or even kind of coming out of the Jewish faith 
where there would have been a much more uh, kind of strict and isolated kind of a lane where sexuality would be expressed. And so they had to make that transition, which would have been extremely difficult and very countercultural. And I think that's not that different than it is for us here even today, right? In our day and age, uh, it's not that uncommon uh, for, for people to kind of hook up without any strings attached, uh, to, to connect sexually and not really to have a relationship. Uh, it's not uncommon for pornography to be a part of somebody's life. It's not that uncommon for premarital sex or kind of living together before marriage or for there to be extramarital affairs or even open marriages. These concepts that are kind of thrown out here are things that most of us would be pretty familiar with and uh, would maybe have experienced or know people that live and experience uh, that kind of sexual culture. And so our world is kind of loaded to uh, be sexually oriented away from the definition of how Jesus would describe and explain sexuality. And I'll just be real honest with you, I'll tell you, for me, I didn't grow up in the church at all. And so my definition of sexuality growing up as a student and uh, as a college student was very different uh, than it would have been for, for me when I said yes to Jesus. And so I grew up kind of thinking that, hey, if, if you love somebody and uh, you're kind of together and in a committed dating relationship, what's wrong with having sex? And eventually I got to the point where I was said, hey, what, what's wrong with Kind of maybe uh, interacting sexually with other people, multiple people even. And those ideas and those kind of uh, guidelines for sex would have been normal in my thinking and, and kind of normal in my practice before I met Lori. And so I just know this, as I live that way, I think it's probably true for you if you have had a sexual past something like this, and probably true for the folks living in this day and age, that living sexually outside of God's definition for sexuality can create all kinds of shame. Uh, it leads to a shallow life, kind of a shallow experience of sex. And it leaves this like guilt, this residue, right? After a sexual interaction and kind of all over your life where you, you think, I, I don't want to live like this anymore. And that's literally what happened to me. I, I woke up one day um, after a party and, and thought, I don't want to live like this anymore. I'm kind of done with this. this there's got to be a better way than what my culture is telling me to do, which is kind of hook up with whoever you want and have fun, and that's what college is all about. And I'm like, this, this is terrible. I have no idea why anybody would tell me to live like this. Sure, is it a temporary thrill? Sure. But then there's guilt, and there's complicated relationships, and there's a shame that just lasts after the fact, and I hated it, and I thought, I, I don't want to live like this anymore. Right? And what we're going to find today as we start to dive into this conversation is God's intent for us, kind of how he's designed sex to work in our lives, uh, doesn't leave shame, doesn't leave that residue, it doesn't leave complicated relationships. Uh, it's actually kind of amazing the way that God has designed it. So that's the conversation we're going to dive into and unpack today. And so uh, buckle up, get, get ready. If you're not comfortable talking about sex, sorry about that. Uh, at least you don't have to look at anybody else in the room. It's just kind of you and me talking about it. So uh, we're going to dive in. And kind of the, the context that Paul sets this all up in is it's all framed in kind of being ready for the end of time. 
being ready for Jesus to come back. So one of the things he says right before this passage, I'll just read it to you. Uh, he says, may, may he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. So he's saying, man, I want you guys to be ready. I want you to be living a blameless life, a holy life, so that when Jesus comes back, you're proud of how you have been living when Jesus returns, right? We've been having some conversations about things that are going to happen at the end of time. And one of the things that is so close to God's heart is that when he returns, that we are found living the way that God designed us to live and has asked us to live. So that's kind of the context that he has set us up with here. And we're going to dive into it here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open to that chapter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, uh, let us know. We would love to mail you a copy of God's Word and just say thanks so much for being with us and tuning in today. Uh, let us know in the comments or shoot us an email or text, and we'll get you one of those for sure. So let's read this through together, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 and 2. He says, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God as in fact you are living. It says, now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So even before he dives into this conversation about sexuality, he wants to remind them, he says, remember, we gave you some instructions. Uh, we kind of told you how to please God and how that all works, and we want you to, to continue to go down that road to do it more and more. And there's a couple of things I want to point out real quick that are really, really important. Because we're going to have a conversation today about pleasing God and about living a certain way. And I want to make sure that this is crystal clear. When it comes to having a relationship with God, pleasing Him on the 30,000-foot kind of level, the only way that I can become pleasing to God is through Jesus. There's nothing I can do. I can't be a good enough person. I can't go to church enough. I can't be sexually pure enough to become right with God in and of myself. I had to have Jesus come to the planet, live a perfect life, die an innocent death, rise from the dead, and offer me to be able to have faith in his name so that I could have a relationship with God. That's the only way it's going to happen. Right? And there's a reality that after I am in relationship with God through Jesus, that now I, I, I want to live a life that is pleasing to God. I actually want to follow Jesus. I'm entering into something. And so one of the things that has become really unclear kind of in, in our North American Christianity is sometimes we have uh, been really strong about accepting Jesus and saying yes to Jesus and, and becoming a Christ follower, right? kind of saying yes in the moment. Uh, but the reality is when I say yes to Jesus, when I, when I pray a prayer or when I decide to follow Christ, I'm entering into an eternal relationship with him. It's not just fire insurance, not just something that gets me out of hell. It's not something that I do once and then never think about God or Jesus again. What I'm doing is I'm, I'm entering into a relationship that's going to last forever. And the, the best way that this makes sense to me is that when I think about marriage. Uh, when I think about when Lori and I got married, our anniversary is coming up actually this week, our 18th year anniversary, when we stood across from one another and we said our vows to each other, we were married. You know, and, and aside from the people watching and kind of the, the gravity of the moment all playing out, 
at the end of the day, all we really did was said words to one another. It's pretty simple. It's pretty easy to get married when you think about it. But if we just thought of marriage as just saying some words to another person, and that's all it was, and we remove that from a life of marriage that would follow, that, that's kind of how it is when we think about saying yes to Jesus without living a life of pleasing God behind it. We, we know this. When we say yes in marriage, we're signing up for a lifestyle. We're going to live life together. We're going to share our days together until death do us part. That's kind of the whole thing. It's a beautiful gift. When I say yes to Jesus, what I'm signing up for is an eternal relationship with him. And I want him to save me from the way that I've been living. And I want him to forgive me and show me a new way of life. And so, so that's really important that we hear that and know that as we start to talk about a life of pleasing God, because we're not earning anything. That's done. Jesus took care of that. And when I say yes to Christ, what I'm doing is as I'm receiving that forgiveness and then entering into a life of following Jesus, here's kind of how I said it in your notes. I said accepting Jesus is simply the first step in a life of following Jesus. Accepting Jesus is simply a first step in a life of following Jesus. And when I say yes, when I sign up and say, man, I'm in, I, I prayed the prayer, I had a moment, I, I said yes, I received the forgiveness of my sins, and that moment's important. I just want to recognize that that's entering me into a lifelong and eternal commitment of trying to please God with my life because we're in relationship with one another. Big deal, right? Big deal the way that we approach this. And then what Paul's going to do is start to talk about what does that life of following Jesus look like? What does it mean? And what does it mean to please God? And how does that show up for us? So he's going to describe one aspect of that. And, and as we do that, I want you to tune into this because he's going to talk about God's will. And all of us want to know, what is the will of God for me? Like, what does God really want for my life? And what does he have planned for me? What's his will for how my days should unravel here. And, and here's one piece of God's will that we're going to see show up. Here's what he says in Thessalonians 4, 3 through 6. He says, it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. So he says, listen, it, this is God's will for you, that you should be sanctified. What does that mean? Sanctified, the idea is that you're kind of set aside for a specific purpose. You are, you're set apart. It's the idea of being holy, right? So I, instead of living for myself and my body functioning for myself, now I function for God. My body is God's. My life is God's. I'm set apart for God, right? And kind of God's stuff that he has asked me to do. That's the idea, right? Being sanctified. And there's a couple things that Paul lays out for us in this passage, specifically about sexuality, that are going to define a portion of what it means to be sanctified, right? So he's going to tell us a couple things that we should do and one thing that no one should do. So let's walk into him. Here's what he's going to say. He says, first, avoid sexual immorality. Avoid sexual immorality. If you're like me, I remember uh, learning this term uh, when I was probably in my, my early 20s. 
and uh, in understanding and beginning to ask the question, what is sexual immorality? Like define it for me. So here's kind of a rough definition that you can use. Sexual immorality is this, sexual behavior outside of a man and woman marriage. Sexual behavior outside of a man and woman marriage. So you kind of think that through a little bit and, and start to ask the question. So that, that means that nothing that happens sexually outside of that marriage relationship, man and woman, is going to be acceptable to God. Yes, you've got it. So premarital sex, nope, doesn't fit in that parameter. Pornography doesn't fit. Extramarital affairs doesn't fit. Homosexual relationships doesn't fit. Only sex in the, the parameters of a man and woman marriage is going to be acceptable to God. All of the rest of it is going to be sexual immorality. So he says, avoid that, right? Get, get, get rid of that. Get that out of our lives. Make sure that that's not showing up in any way. And of course, we all know this, this, that sexual immorality is rampant in our culture. And it's kind of normalized and we're a little bit desensitized to it. Uh, things like uh, people breaking down their marriage because they're not satisfied sexually. They're feeling lonely, so they go outside of the marriage uh, to be with someone else and find fulfillment that way. Things like uh, pornography. Did you know that in the world, the, the industry of pornography is a $97 billion industry. In the United States, it's a $12 billion industry just in the U.S. alone. Right? These are major pieces of our culture that we're going to see and they're going to feel normal. Just like in the world of the Thessalonians, all of these sexual immoral practices felt normal and then God would call them to live differently to live a sanctified life, to do things that are not quite in the norm. In fact, it, it's become so powerful, so, such a strong influence on us in the marketing that we take in, in the movies that we take in, the shows that we watch, and in the practices of kind of the day, that sexuality has been so elevated in our lives that the, we almost think of it sometimes as part of our identity. We think of it almost as who we are. This is huge. I want, I want you to catch this because I believe this is one of culture's biggest lies to us today. Uh, that to, to link sex and identity together is something that has never been true as a definer of who we are. Uh, here's how I would say it. Sex is not a statement of identity. My identity defines the role of sex in my life. Sex is not a statement of identity. Uh, how I want to have sex, who I want to have sex with, my sexual preferences, those things aren't who I am. Those don't define me. There's a higher level. There's something great or something eternal that defines me. For the follower of Jesus, I'm a, I'm a son or a daughter of God. I'm a follower of Jesus. Right? That my body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's literally where God lives. That definition of who I am then is going to filter down and it's going to define where sex is going to fit in my life in the role that it's going to play. And of course, not only sex, but all the other areas of my life as well. Why? Because that's my identity. And that's, that identity comes from my God who gives it to me. Right? So sex isn't my identity. It's something much greater, something much more powerful. 
It's, it's given directly from the Lord. So it's massive. I, I want to avoid sexual immorality. I want to understand how that's defined by my identity. It's kind of the first one that Paul lays out here. He rolls into the, the next one. He says that we should learn to control our own body. Right? Avoid sexual immorality. Learn to control your own body. And really, there's a couple ways that that can play out. So as I, if I'm going to control my own body sexually, I, I basically have two options. If I'm a follower of Jesus, I, I could walk down a road of singleness. And, and if you're single, you should kind of have this road. Think of it as applying to you directly today. If you're single, the way that you control your own body is by simply not engaging in sexual activity, right? Because it's, that's outside of the, the bounds of marriage. In fact, the Bible would say that singleness is actually a great gift. Uh, Jesus was single. For the vast majority of Paul's life, he was single. He tells us he wishes everybody was like him so that they could kind of give themselves completely in their devotion to God. So singleness is one way that we could control our body by not interacting with sex at all. The other major way that we can control our body is by having our body really show up completely uh, for our spouse and with our spouse in the marriage relationship. It's kind of the other major option. And I realize that this, this is hard for some of us to hear. Uh, some of us grew up in church and uh, maybe grew up not talking about sex at all. Uh, even having this conversation right now might feel a little bit uncomfortable to you, a little taboo. And you might think to yourself, is it okay that we're talking about sex like this? Is sex even a, a, a good thing or is it dirty? And sometimes in the church's um, kind of attempt to protect people sexually, because sex is a powerful thing, We've almost oversteered and made sex seem like a bad thing or a dirty thing. And here's something I want us to make sure we grab. This is important. Remember, it was God who created sex, right? That means it's good. And sex is super good, right? Super amazing gift that we should enjoy within the definition and the confines that God gave it to us, right, in marriage. Remember, it's God who made it. It's God who created it. Sex was God's idea, not our idea. He kind of created us that way. So that is a big, big deal. What I want to remember, though, is I'm learning to control my own body. Uh, if I'm in a sexual relationship in marriage, I, just, I want to think of sex this way. Uh, my favorite illustration, kind of way to think of it, is I think of sex a lot like fire. I just like fire a lot, right? We've got a wood-burning stove in our home, and we get this thing kind of roaring all the way from October to April in our house. This puppy is moving all the time, right? It's just blazing fires all winter long. And uh, we got a big wood pile that we feed this with. And sometimes Lori and I will sit in our couch in the middle of winter when it's freezing outside, and we'll look at this thing as that fire is roaring inside that cast iron box and it starts to creak because it gets so hot in there. And we'll say, can you believe that there is fire in our house? Like, if it wasn't in that box, it would absolutely ruin our entire home in a matter of minutes, certainly in a matter of hours. Right? But because it's in the box, it's in the cast iron box that can contain it, 
fire is able to flourish and it actually becomes a blessing to us. That, I think, is how sex is. Right? It just makes sense to me. that The, the gift, the gift of, of sex is like fire, and it is a great gift. But if it is, is this uncontained, man, it'll run over everything. Imagine a wildfire that burns down a forest or burns down a home. But if I can contain that fire, if we can get it in the box, then it becomes an amazing blessing, all right? an incredible gift that we can enjoy and can actually be a, a gift of unification for a husband and wife. And what a great thing that it is, right? So I want to keep the fire in the box. Don't let the fire roll out into the living room or onto the couch. It's going to burn the house down, um, right? You, you don't want to do that, right? It's not a good thing. So that's the way I love to think of it. Think of sex like fire. I avoid sexual immorality. I learn to control my own body. And then here's the next one. Uh, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. Uh, and this is a big deal. This one's a big deal. So he's saying, he's kind of running down this sexual road and saying we should be sanctified, we should be different. And when it comes to our interactions with each other, that nobody should hurt or take advantage or wrong a brother or sister. And this is a big, important thing. Uh, it is absolutely inappropriate that sexual harassment, sexual misconduct, molestation should show up in any relationship that is outside of marriage. And, and unfortunately, I, can't, I can tell you a lot of stories uh, that I have heard uh, over the years of, of people that have been hurt sexually, people that have been abused. Uh, it, it's, it's unbelievably common that people would be wronged or taken advantage of in all kinds of scenarios. Uh, whether that's in a home or actually even in a church situation, let me just tell you this. If you have been hurt or abused sexually, I want you to hear me loud and clear that that is not in the will of God. There is nothing appropriate about that. Uh, what was done to you is wrong, and I would long for nothing more than for you to find healing in that situation. It is critical to know that if you're someone who has been harassing others or taking advantage of or being a, a pushy in the sexual arena uh, with other people, that is something that God is vehemently against. He is deeply opposed to. And please know uh, that is something that should never show up in the life of a follower of Christ should never wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. Another way to think of this is when I interact sexually outside of the confines of marriage, uh, when I'm with someone premaritally, when I go outside of the marriage relationship and I'm with someone else, truly I'm taking advantage, I'm cheating someone else's spouse or their future spouse often of intimacy that should truly only show up in that relationship. I, I'm wronging them. I'm taking advantage of them. I'm stealing from them. So this is a big deal. This is why things like uh, strip clubs and prostitution and, and things, chat rooms on the internet, all of the intimacy that should be poured into the marriage relationship 
is being stolen by, by going to someone else and stealing and hurting their potential spouse or their current spouse as well. No one should take advantage of or wrong a brother or sister. Massive deal here. Uh, in fact, the, the Lord, uh, Paul is going to talk about how the Lord would view some of this. Here's what he's going to say in the next passage. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we've told you and warned you before, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So he's saying God is God, he's against this, right? He's against this kind of behavior. Uh, and even if, if you're someone who has a relationship with Christ, that God would look at, at that situation and your interaction and say, listen, I'm, I'm going to oppose this. Elsewhere in Scripture, it says that God opposes the proud, right, but gives grace to the humble. And so if I'm kind of dead set on living a life of sexual immorality, uh, the Bible's going to say God, God's going to come against that in some ways. And while he loves you and he's for you, he wants you to come to repentance and come into relationship with him or to leave these kinds of decisions, it doesn't mean that once we're in a relationship with God that he doesn't at times kind of discipline us. And the way that I tend to think of this is I've got four kids and I love my kids like crazy, right? And, and, and I want to be with them, love spending time with them. But if one of my kids is determined to hurt another one, then the kid who is hurting the other child in my family is going to have a problem with me, right? I'm going to have to get in the middle of that, and I'm going to have to help them not make those decisions anymore. In the same way, God would look at us and say, well, I'm going to steer you away from these kinds of decisions. He doesn't lay out what that looks like, but I think we know a lot of the built-in shame uh, a lot, a lot of, a lot of the the built-in ramifications and the natural consequences of sinful decisions kind of discipline us themselves. It's kind of what I was talking about in the beginning. When I was living a life of sin, and we all sin at times. When I, when I was living a life of sin, I was living in a shame that was pointing me back to God to get that shame released and that guilt cared for. And you know how this works. If you're living a life and you're hiding something and you're managing a relationship and you're living a double life, there is a stress and a shame and a difficulty to your days that is not there if you're walking with a clear conscience before God. The, the point is God is drawing us to himself. He wants us to walk in sex in the way that he's defined it based on where we are in the lifestyle and in the situation that we find ourselves in, right? Not in sexual immorality, but in purity. He says, I have not called you to be impure, but to live a holy life. And that's the heartbeat of it. One of the things that I love so deeply about knowing Jesus, about having a relationship with him, is, is the grace that God gives to all of us. Right? Because without that, we would all be lost. We'd be without any hope. Now, listen to this verse and, and, and hear some of the kind of 
sobering things that God would say. And then I want us to catch the hope that comes after. He says, or do you not know, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is a, that is a steep thing to say. That's a severe thing to say. God would look and say, listen, if you, are, you, are you a drunkard? Have you gotten dry? Are you greedy? Are you sexually immoral? Have you done these things? And, and many of these things, you'd look at my life and say, oh, Ryan, you've done that. And the reality is that, that the habitual practicer of this kind of lifestyle, Paul would say, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But because of Jesus, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, and his payment for my sin, this can be said of me. I want you to catch this. That is what some of you were. He says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So hear me. If you have a sexual past, if you're like me, know that you have been washed you have been sanctified. You've been justified. You've been forgiven for your sin. And God does not hold that against you. Uh, there may be ramifications to, to decisions that we have all made in the past. That's just part of living life here on earth. But, but we're forgiven. And none of that does the Lord look at us and, and hold it against us. We are his children and we walk with a clear conscience because of what Jesus has done for us. It's massive to know. I need to know that. And you need to know that. right? Because, because here's the reality. What you've done is not who you are. Say that again. What you've done is not who you are. No matter where you've been, who you've been with, what you have done, that is not a statement about who you are or even about who you can be. You say, Ryan, that's powerful. What do I do with all of this? And there's a couple places we might be in, in regards to this conversation. Some of us, uh, we, might, we might currently be in a situation where we are managing and hiding sexual immorality, where there's a habit or there's a relationship, or we've been reaching out on social media to try to rekindle an old flame with somebody from high school or from our past. Maybe, right, maybe because we've been home more, you've been interacting with chat rooms or something that's kind of hidden in the dark sexually, and it's become a habit, and it's a problem, and you know it, managing it. I want you to hear God's heart for you, please. More than anything else, what God would want for you, if you're in that place, is to bring that habit, that relationship, that sin that's being managed, and bring it into the light. 
to confess it. To confess it to him and then to confess it to someone that you can trust to help you make your way all the way out of it. So the burden can be lifted and the shame can be erased. And, and you have to walk around worrying about, am I going to get caught? Is this going to be exposed or not? And the Lord would long for that to play out in your life, to have a clean conscience and easy relationship with him again, right? to find the help that we need to get free. Some of us, when we hear this conversation, what comes to our minds is what we think of stuff, not in the, in the present, but, but in the past. We think of, of things that we did a long time ago that maybe we still feel bad for. Maybe if you have a past like I have a past, you need to hear and you need to know you're not what you've done. That's not what defines you. You can claim the forgiveness that Jesus died to give you, and you are not defined by that, and there should be no shame left on you for the life that you live in. Please know, when I think back about the decisions that I've made in my relationships before Jesus, I feel bad for those things. And if I could go back and do them differently, I would. But I know that Christ has forgiven me for them. I know I've been set free from that kind of lifestyle. And I want you to have that. We can't undo what we've done. We know that. But I want you to know that you can have forgiveness and that you can be washed and sanctified and justified the way that Paul describes us. Guys, lastly, I, I know that there's some of us who are here in this, and you've never even thought about maybe living a different way. That the, the sexual norm is just the sexual norm, just what it is. And you never even thought there, there might be an option of getting out of this and living a different lifestyle and being set free from the shame of, of living this way and living a life without God, period. And I just want you to hear me. No that Jesus is for you, he loves you, that when God tells us to live a certain way and asks us to do that, it's for our own good, and that you can find the freedom and you can leave the shallowness and the, the guilt, the shame residue of living a life of sexual immorality that I, I know personally, and you can find forgiveness and peace enjoy. It's all available. And if you're interested in knowing more or taking a step in moving towards God, having forgive your sins, it's something you can do today. You can say, Jesus, forgive me for what I've done. I want to know you. Kind of have that marriage relationship and begin that relationship with him today. If you, if you feel like you're ready to do that, that's fantastic. If you would say, maybe I need some more information, reach out. I would love to talk to you more about that. Help you take those next steps to move toward a relationship with God. As wherever we are, can we start in a place of just saying, Lord, I need you. Can, can we say, God, I need you to build my life, to change me, and help me to believe your words and cling to your ways more and more. Would you pray with me?
Father, that's what we want. We want to be changed by you. We want to stand in awe of the forgiveness that you have died to offer us. Lord, thank you for forgiving me for my sins, for my rebellion against you before I knew you, and and for my rebellion against you after I knew you. You are so good, and you are overwhelmingly gracious, God, in your kindness, in your forgiveness. You're eager to show mercy. And so, Lord, I pray that you would, in each of our lives, of everyone who's hearing my voice today, God, help us to know that you are for us and not against us, and that you long to reconnect with our hearts and to release the guilt and the shame that we hold. Give us courage, Lord, to walk in a way different than the world around us and to live that way with boldness. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.
Thanks for being with us this week. We love you guys. Can't wait to see you soon.